think first you have to make sure that the members know that you're there to help. The, the worst thing you can do is you can push them away and they're afraid to contact you uh, and, and work towards a, a resolution. So you have to use your letters, your statements to let them know that there are options available to really assist, assist them out there. Welcome to Talking Mortgage Podcast, presented by True Home Solutions, a podcast dedicated to helping you bring your members home. I'm Doug Holscher, president of True Home Solutions. Here you'll find meaningful ways to serve your members, valuable knowledge from the mortgage industry's top experts, and stories from credit union-minded folks just like yourself. Thanks for being here. A warm welcome to those credit union leaders tuning in to this episode of the Talking Mortgage Podcast. Today's conversation is about mortgage servicing. During a time when the economy is shaky, we expect member delinquency to go up, and as a result of that, foreclosures might be on the rise as we move into the the new year. And we're going to talk about, as a credit union, how you handle and prepare for that on today's call. My name is Scott Burdett. I'm the moderator of the Talking Mortgage Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Doug Batten of True Home. Welcome, Doug. Thank you, Scott. We're glad to have you. Tell us a little bit about your role here at True Home. Yeah, well, I oversee the servicing team here at True Home. We're currently servicing about $11.7 billion in portfolio assets for our credit union partners, about 75,000 loans out there. Um, been with True Home for eight years and have about 35 years experience in the mortgage servicing space. Just a few decades. Just, uh, just a few years. What did you do in the mortgage business before? Have you always worked in servicing? It's specifically been in servicing since the late 80s. Um, Most of that time was spent in the mortgage default arena. Okay. Um, What was your first job in the mortgage business? Uh, Auditor. Interesting. That's good. Has it been a good ride? Been a ride, but it's a good ride. Yeah, that's good. Um, talk to us a little bit about what's happening in the general uh, market. I, I, I know that most of the credit unions that are listening on this call will have will be feeling a significant difference today from what things were just a year ago. But just talk to us a little bit about your view on what's happening uh, in the mortgage space right now. Sure. I think, uh, and, and I don't portray myself to be an expert out there, but I think we all watch the news out there. And there's just a number of indicators that would really point to us having to start to prepare for upcoming delinquency issues. Uh, I think we're all all already feeling the inflationary pressures that, that are out there that we see at the market, we see at the stores um, that are there. Then you combine that with the Fed showing uh, propensity to increase rates. Um, we have housing sale declines that we're all experiencing within the mortgage space. And then you couple that with the new notifications of, of some significant layoffs that are coming to, to different industry spaces out there. I think it just really points us to the fact that the unemployment rate is going to start increasing uh, on all of us, and we have to start preparing for that. And as the unemployment rate increases, what generally happens with mortgage delinquencies? The unemployment rate for mortgage default is the key driver that is out there. I mean, you look back through the MBA data for the last 25, 30 years that they have been tracking it, and the unemployment rate is the consistent key driver out there to how the delinquency of the mortgage product is going to perform. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting, Doug, about this topic, and I love that you're bringing it up and, and, and really raising it as a, as, a, as a conversation that needs to happen 
with credit unions. I've been in a lot of uh, strategic planning conversations with credit unions over the last uh, 30, 60, 90 days. And, you know, many of them talk about the fact that originations have come to a screeching halt and trying to figure out how to respond to that and how that affects uh, balance sheets and income statements next year. But very rarely do I hear folks talking about um, anticipating delinquencies going up and the demands that that might have on their servicing uh, organization. Why do you think that, why do you think that is? Why are, why do I not hear credit unions talk about that more? Well, go first, Scott. I think some of those responses that we've all heard actually do concern me and tell me that they better be preparing for the increased delinquency because we've seen the reduction in volume. We're all feeling that. But some of the initial immediate responses are, I want to lower my FICO score so I can drive more volume. I want to increase my LTV thresholds. I want to get more high-risk, first-time home buyer programs out there. I need to have better, more sophisticated ARM products. Well, each and every one of those just bring more risk into your portfolio if you're putting those on as a portfolio asset that is there which then if you have your delinquency now and you've got settled in at what that rate is, all you've done is really increase the risk within that portfolio that could be combined with the increasing delinquency rates and really drive significant increases in overall portfolio delinquency. That's, that's interesting. So you're basically lifting up two different components of risk. I just want to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly and, and helping the listeners uh, understand this as well. You anticipate unemployment uh, is going to change as we move into 2023. And as a result of that, that's usually a leading indicator of what delinquencies are going to look like uh, in the mortgage in the mortgage space. But then the second thing that you were bringing up is as you know, credit unions are reacting to the origination volume, you know, really drying up, they're taking a little bit more risk in an effort to you know, populate the pipeline. And as a result of that, that could also put pressure because you're getting riskier borrowers. And as a result of that, that could put pressure on your servicing function uh, as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. And and I think people have to proactively look at those indicators that they're doing and and what programs that they're offering out there. Um, I, I think we can all expect that delinquency rate to increase it's a little harder to predict of how those two come together and what it's going to do uh, specific to the delinquency of any given product. I will say, I think I'm pretty fortunate, and we know we here at Jerome, we've got a single product that is out there. Um, others here that may be listening to this podcast are across variable products out there, and some of those an indirect product that they might not have as much interaction with the, daily, with the member daily that, that they do that increases that risk even further. So mm-hmm. that's what we're hoping to get in front of everybody and starting to help them prepare for. Okay. Uh, one of the things I've also heard, and I don't have data to back this up, I'm hoping that you do, but I think credit unions generally believe that their delinquency rates are normally better than kind of the typical um, mortgage partners, out, mortgage uh, originators out there. Is that true or, or, or is that a myth? That That is true. I, I will say that... Y- Everyone is a little bit different based off of the programs and parameters that they, they offer for their specific credit union. But, yeah, we, we closely measure the performance of our credit union partners against the NBA national delinquency t- statistics, and it is consistently 
under those national numbers. Now you get. Why do you in, think that is? Well, I think there is more of a relationship with the member. I mean, it, it is the credit union model out there, and what what will you try to adhere to? I think there is a little more value in the relationship with that member that that is there that drives that. But I also think that uh, credit unions in, in general might not have been as aggressive in the past around some of these uh, more risky programs that we spoke about. Uh, the significant increase in rate activity over this last, what, six to nine months at this point in time mm-hmm. might have many credit unions uh, thinking a little bit differently than they have in the past and a little more reactionary. So, Okay, good. Um, let's talk about preparedness and what credit unions can do today to prepare for what you're anticipating happening in 2023. I, I know, you know, as we were preparing for this podcast, one of the things that you mentioned are the staffing implications associated uh, with the service, with the, with servicing mortgage loans. Talk to us a little bit about what, a, what credit unions can do now to prepare for uh, staffing issues that they may experience next year. I do think that staffing and the identification of hiring and, and the, the resources is the long pull in the tent right now. And you can't get yourself behind if uh, the inflation, the unemployment rate and all that catch us and you start to see an immediate increase in delinquency. Um, it's hard in today's environment, as we all know, to find those right resources. And not only do you have to find those right resources, but you have to train them in the credit unions on a, a set of multiple products so that they understand it. And, and, and you got to have that capability on those team members. They are the, the member-facing experience that, that is out there. And you want to be able to present that empathetically and help, and they have to understand what the programs and parameters that the credit unions are offering. So if you just couple how long it takes to find the right employees now – you get them in, get them to understand the credit union and the offerings. Then you have to train them on what the specific programs are for each product. That takes a significant period of time. And if you start coupling that with the pressure of we're seeing a twofold, threefold increase in delinquency out there, um, it, it has a tendency that you could put um, some incorrect people in some incorrect seats and really compound your struggles and challenges that are out there. So one of the things I want to just make sure, I, I, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here uh, to where I, I believe what you're suggesting is that as servicing demands go up due to delinquencies, that there's going to be greater expectation and need for staffing. So are you suggesting that credit unions really look at their current staffing levels and servicing and evaluate whether or not that's going to be enough to handle, you know, the delinquencies and the proactive communication and thing that needs to happen. Is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely. I think you have to understand what your key metrics are and those can vary for the different credit unions, but is it the number of accounts that they assign to each person? Is it the number of attempts, the number of outreach efforts that they try to make through each individual and their team? But you have to understand that to start kind of backing into what that, I'll say, base staffing level is in today's environment. And then you're going to have to overlay that with starting to project out what you think that delinquency level could get to. Now, you don't have to go to worst case scenario right now, but you need to start figuring out what those numbers are 
what practices those are that you're going to have to go out and find those bodies that can accommodate uh, this potential increase. As you do your budgeting for next year at True Home, are there are you guys expecting uh, a, a percent increase in staffing on the servicing side to handle this? Can you give credit unions an idea of what you're looking at? Yeah, we, we have already kind of outlaid what we think uh, will go on out there. And, and I have about a 100 basis point increase in delinquency built in that I'm starting to staff towards now and seeing how that would trend from what the existing um, staffing level would be to where we would end next year. We compound that a little, as everybody does, is we're hoping to add accounts during that process. So that's why I say it's very important. Not only are you going to have to overlay this delinquency increase, but hopefully a portfolio growth increase as well that really says that you can't get caught behind in this. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, let's an, Another thing that you've referenced to me, you shared with me when we were talking offline, is this idea of not treating uh, every member uh, the same. Um, and what I mean by that is like thinking about your, uh, your members that have a mortgage and, and really segment them into groups and treat those groups a little bit differently in terms of, you know, kind of the risk, the, the, the potential of risk that they might go into delinquency. Talk to us a little bit about why credit unions shouldn't just think of all their mortgage borrowers as one and really think about them as uh, in this kind of segmented model. I guess I'll start there, Scott, is I think you really want to prioritize and start looking at your portfolio. Which members are you not contacting right now? Let's face it, that's probably your biggest risk factor right now of can I reach this member if if I start to see a delinquency increase that is there? And do I have practices, procedures, and processes that will allow me to more than just attempt them, but to actually contact them and try to help to uh, help them through any challenging situation they have. But then you overlay that with, yes, I I really believe that you should um, kind of proactively define what your more risky programs are um, so that you can quantify and provide more outreach efforts on those accounts that have the highest propensity for going delinquent. Um, Let's face it. Uh, the worst thing you can do is make five calls to that borrower that is set up and going to make the payment on the 25th already. Let's go out there and try to figure out who it is we have to contact so that we can have the programs out there to help them. And are, are you suggesting that as you think about segmenting your borrowers, you're segmenting them based on which products they might be using that generally would be um, riskier, if you will, or have the propensity to be delinquent, and then also looking at their credit history, their credit scores and credit history too, or is that, does that enter into the equation? I guess I'll say that's again unique to probably each of our credit union partners out there. Some of them are using product code and they know on the origination side what they have done more risky and they should work with their servicing or collection staff to really under un, make sure that everybody understands and has defined that. But then, yeah, we have others that are already overlaying maybe LTV risk, maybe getting the original FICO score, maybe getting an updated FICO score and trying to get uh, a full model together of which are those accounts that are going to be most significant um, of risk, either to collections-related activity or some are more gearing it towards loss-related activity. And that's where the whole FICO score, LTV, you just really have to step back and figure out what works 
best for you. And again, it's kind of like the staffing. That's all I'm challenging people to start thinking through that now. Don't wait till that occurs and then you're reacting to start start that planning activities now. Yeah, Doug, this is an, probably an obvious question, and you're going to be like, dude, you're like clueless that you're asking this question. But why? I mean, like, why segment? Like, if, you know, if you believe that outreach is important and you should be outreaching to prevent uh, the probability of, of delinquency, why don't we just do that outreach to all uh, mortgage borrowers and the, and the credit union? Why would we not do that? Well, I, I kind of alluded to it out there. It is you only have with your staff the ability to make so many calls within in, in any given month. Um, you want to make sure that you're prioritizing, again, those that for you are the most important. Let's go on the loss scenario there. Which one of those have the highest uh, propensity for going uh, through that cycle there and making sure that you are doing and making multiple calls to those members. Because we all know on the collection side, about only uh, every attempt is only going to drive you know, a 10%, maybe a 15% contact rate. Uh, and then you have to go back to that training. Once you contact them, is your team able to talk through those programs and parameters that you have available to assist them. And that's where you've got to marry all those activities together. And you just don't want to be making calls for making calls sake that don't yeah. drive any reduction in delinquency or reduced exposure out there. It's not scalable nor efficient to treat everyone the same. Let me ask a, another question. Is this a practice that you're seeing many credit unions deploy uh, as they think about Service. Their marketing department's probably doing it from the standpoint of, you know, mar- you know, marketing special offers and marketing folks are notorious for segmenting. But do you see many credit unions doing it as they think about how to service uh, borrowers differently? I would say it's probably about 50-50, Scott. We okay. do have some that are out there proactively thinking about it, looking for suggestions how to do so. But the delinquency rates have been so low for such a period of time now um, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And, and let's face it, the back room, nobody wants to incur unnecessary expense in the back room. So now it might not be an unnecessary extent expense, uh-huh. but we've not got ourselves prepared for it. So it's trying to figure out how to get those together so that we are prepared a, as we could see potential increases. Okay. You've talked about outreach several times during the call about being proactive and communicating with borrowers. Talk to us a little bit about some of the best practices associated with service uh, servicing outreach. Again, I think it goes back to the risk within your programs, making sure that you have proactive outreach on those programs and that you have some higher risk campaigns that are defined out there, maybe early payment default activities, specifically around first payment default. Use your LOs to, to help you collect those. Uh, they have a relationship at that point in time that is much better than the servicing staff. So find a way to, to marry those activities. But then you also have the ability to, I'll say, kind of go out there and proactively who might have some payment shock issues out there. And uh, payment shock is not a term that everybody wants to hear, but there is a different differing level for each person out there that that, sh- that change in payment will cause a shock that could create that delinquency. 
And we have those products that we talked about. You're combining higher risk products, I'll say specifically arms that have a payment increase, with a a period of time that we saw uh, dramatic uh, home appreciation rates out there that have also caused an increase in their tax and insurance payments. You start to merge all those things together, and you need a, a program out there that looks at that proactively before that rate change actually occurs so that you can reach out to that member, my opinion, and proactively have an empathetic conversation with them to be able to talk through, hey, Scott, are you going to be able to handle this $100, $200, $300 payment increase that we're seeing? No, no, no. Doug, talk to, like, what does outreach look like? In terms of, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, what are some of the most effective uh, outreach techniques and what's the frequency of, of that communication? I mean, it, it varies again, Scott, by the investment that each of the credit unions have made. You know, many of them at this point have an auto dialer and, and are using those to help them uh, populate calls. Uh, others have preview dialers, which go a little slower and allow the collector to actually review the account before they pop on the line. Uh, with the member, but uh, to be more engaged in in that call. Uh, We have some that have started to outsource uh, early stage collection activities um, that that are there. Um, Is it always phone calls or are emails and letters effective? I guess I'll say we believe, that's where I was going, we kind of believe in marrying the activities of letters um, out there, we we do uh, effectively use email campaigns, and, and uh, if if we have engagement from the member, that that is a, a viable option for them to respond to. Um, we have many that are out there now doing text identification verifications. Uh, there's some risk around that, and making sure that you have consent and the charges around that that we won't go too deep into here. But really, the more tools that you have available to tie back to make sure you're communicating with that member that could be experiencing some, some trouble, the better off you're going to be as we go into this. Okay. Um, when you hear the word proactive, that suggests a, a, a time element, right? When do, should collection activity begin? I'm guessing you're going to say as early as possible, but when should a credit union begin thinking about doing that outreach to be proactive? guess I'll say I'll go back to that payment shock comment that I made that on those arms and those escrow analysis statements that are increasing that monthly payment, you really know that data 45 days before that payment increase is going to go out. So uh, you don't even have the delinquency impact yet. You're just doing the high touch outreach campaign to say this is coming. Then you can proactively flag or identify somebody that you, like you said, no, I can't afford it. Okay, let's start working with you now of what a program could be. Yeah, I, and I do want to talk about programs, but I have one more question for you. Um, let's assume that someone has missed a payment. Do you wait until they're 30 days late to begin doing outreach, or do you think that that should happen sooner? We start right after the initial late charge is, is assessed out there, and there are certain programs that we have, again, out there around um, early payment defaults, first payment defaults, and some of the lower FICO score products of some of our credit union partners that we actually do so earlier than that. It's, it's not 
uh, a significant number, but we do have some of those high-risk campaigns that are out there that I would um, challenge everybody to start thinking about of how their monthly calendar works. And if you think about that, you, that's all you want to do is come up with a calendar that your team is kind of familiar with that, hey, my, my highest risk accounts, I'm going to start off at whatever day you decide. And then as I'm going to work down the, the risk grades as we go through there and start those calls on those members that have never been delinquent before and have shown no concerns or no issues as late in the month as possible. So again, you're not wasting the resources to, to make the efforts on those teams. And Doug, for credit unions that, um, or for borrowers that fall behind, you know, whether it's 30, 60, you know, 90 days, whatever the time frame, what kinds of programs can credit unions think about creating or offering that would help get those accounts in good standing? What does that look like? I guess, Scott, I'll start with, I think first you have to make sure that the members know that you're there to help. The, the worst thing you can do is you can push them away and they're afraid to contact you uh, and, and work towards a, a resolution. So you have to use your letters, your statements to let them know that there are options available to really assist, assist them out there. But then, yeah, you, we can talk through, there are forbearances, there are partial claims, there are modifications, there are a plethora of available options out there that can really assist members that, again, I think the senior team at each credit union, as we're going into this cycle, should kind of dust off of those programs because they probably or might not have had to use them too often these last couple of years dust those off now so that they're all in agreement that this is what we're going to offer. Then it ties back to that staffing and training and bringing people in and making sure that they're aware with them so that you have a good experience or as good experience as possible with a delinquent member the very first time you have it. That's what we're out there for is to assist individuals and assist them in need. Uh, this is the great opportunity to really do that. And you can actually drive some value if you have that approach to it, but you have to have the rule book by which you're going to play to, to really get those conversations started. Doug, you've provided some great insight um, today uh, to credit unions in terms of things that they should be doing uh, to prepare for what you're anticipating being a year where delinquencies are higher uh, based on unemployment changes. I hope that you're wrong about that. <laughs> I very much do too, yes. Um, but anticipating that coming, what would be the three things that you think credit unions should do uh, between now and the end of the year to prepare for uh, what you're anticipating in 2023? Three things. I, I guess I would say let's start with understanding what the metrics are for your outreach teams that are going to do that. Two, then working with your HR group to identify the talent level or the, the job description for those individuals that you're going to proactively do. And then segment again those high-risk accounts, understanding which ones you think need approached first. Doug, thank you very much for that advice. I'm, I know that the credit unions um, – listening and appreciate the insight that you've shared uh, after 30 years in the industry. Hey, sorry to keep bringing that up, but uh, it makes you extremely credible and knowledgeable and we appreciate that. And thank you for all the listeners out there who are joining today and look forward to you to tune in to the next uh, 
podcast as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening and for being part of the Credit Union Movement. If you found this valuable, I'd love it if you could view this show from wherever you find your podcasts. From all of us at True Home, we're thankful you're here. Keep tuning in to more on how to bring your members home where they belong.